somehow you edit your trailers in After Effects, correct? That is totally correct, yes. <laughs> Welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. This is episode number 23. I'm Derek Liu, and we're continuing uh, The Cutdown with a series of interviews because Rick is taking a break right now. And today I have a very special guest, uh, Kurt Gartner, who is also an indie game trailer maker. I'd say he was the he's the OG indie game trailer maker. Uh, hi, Kurt. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. Um, Kurt has done a lot of amazing work. Um, he works for uh, Devolver Digital, and he's worked on games like My Friend Pedro, Celeste, uh, Job Simulator, Space Pirate Trainer, Space Channel VR, Space Channel 5 VR, excuse me, Broforce, Towerfall, Nuclear Throne, Hotline Miami, uh, and he's done graphics packages for the Independence Games Festivals, the Game Developers Choice Awards, and just so much more. Uh, and also just really is uh, killing it at the whole VR game trailer thing. And he's done the mixed reality and just VR cinematography and just all those amazing things. So I feel tired just hearing that list. <laughs> <laughs> tired and you should feel proud, though. Well, thank I mean, you. Yeah, no, that's a lot of fun stuff. There's a lot of fun projects in there. The thing I wanted to start off with right away is so your your background is in visual effects for feature films which i think is a little bit unusual in terms of the my circles because i think most of us are editors and so because of that somehow you edit your trailers in after effects correct that is totally correct yes <laughs> i have a very very odd workflow whenever i tell people that their their minds are kind of just like like why why do you do that and how how do you do that but you know, After Effects is like, what's the best way to put it? It, it? It's the tool I feel the most comfortable in because it's the one that I've spent the most time with throughout my entire life. Right. Like, I've been using After Effects since version two, like, like, I don't know, like right from the very beginning, like 95, 96, like around there when that kind of stuff was just starting up. Yeah. And for, for the kids, that's version two before it was even CS or Creative Cloud, so... Oh, yeah, it was... <laughs> where a Creative Cloud, like, what, version 14 or something like that, so... I don't even know how to keep track of what version Creative Cloud is anymore. <laughs> yeah, add, add another six versions or so, and that's yeah. how long you've been using it for. Yeah. When I hear you out in After Effects, there are just so many things that pop into my head, like, you know, just watching your cut, previewing footage, or organizing footage, just... At, uh, I mean, let me just start with just one of those. I mean, isn't playing back in After Effects just really slow? How does not, that work? No, not, not really. Like, I've built myself a machine that is, like, built for After Effects, right? So okay. it's like my machine is all SSDs. You know, the footage I use, um, sometimes I will transcode it to um, something that's, like, not as compressed. Like, if it's, like, really, really heavily compressed MP4 files, they might not necessarily scrub very smoothly. But if you convert them all to ProRes, then they'll scrub super smooth in After Effects, just like they do in Premiere. If I have, like, a whole bunch of footage to go through, Premiere is actually way better at scrubbing and playing back and going through footage. So what I'll generally do is I will edit all of my footage in Premiere, or at least get my selects 
in Premiere because you can play back at like two, four speed or whatever really, really smoothly in that and scrub around. And so I'll get all my clips, you know, organized on a timeline. Like here's all the chunks of clips, you know, that you're going to use for the different parts. And then I'll take that entire Premiere project and bring it into After Effects. And then I'll do all of my editing inside of After Effects. Okay. So that makes a little bit more sense because I'm just trying to imagine doing selects, watching lots of footage in After Effects and not having that extra monitor or having all the bins and sequences to sort through, so. Yeah, it's like I sort of split out the workflow in that way. But I mean, there's some projects where it's like if, say, the developer has already captured a bunch of footage, and in some cases, they'll have edited a bunch of footage already for me, and it's like they're named properly, and I can like just preview in the finder or whatever, and it's like these clips are, you know, 10, 15 seconds long. So it's like they've already done some of that work for me, so I'll just be like, all right, I'll just dump it all into After Effects because I can see what it is. And, you know, and generally, you know, if it's a short clip, you can scrub through it and find the good parts and just just kind of knock it all into place and it's good to go. So it really depends on the project, right? Go back to that part where you said everything's named properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. That, that is, you know, sometimes the case, sometimes the case. But, you know, the, this is the whole thing. But, I mean, like, the reason I use After Effects is because I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle, right? Like I started in visual effects. This was, I don't know, 20 years ago now. I edited an entire 20 minute BMX video inside of After Effects. I mean, it was like this giant insane timeline and it took, I don't know, ungodly amounts of hours to render back then. But it's just, whenever I'm working on footage, I always feel like I'm, I'm always doing something to it. You know, like I'm either like, you know, doing like some heavy masking or doing some heavy color correction or integrating motion graphics in some sort of way or I'm painting things out in shots you know like oh this you know this explosion needs to be a couple frames earlier so I'm comping things in and that whole workflow is just so much easier for me in After Effects because it's the tool I'm familiar with and whenever I go to Premiere I feel like I'm like I've got boxing gloves on my hands I'm like where's the thing to do the thing the effects are over here why is the timeline in a different spot like if it takes me 30 seconds in After Effects to do something it would take me like four or five minutes in Premiere to figure it out right because I'm just not as familiar with that tool that's all it is that's interesting you say that you you'll like within a shot sort of adjust the timing of individual elements oh yeah how commonly do you do that sort of thing it, again, it depends on the game, right? And it depends on the trailer. But I mean, for like a Gato Roboto is a really good example of that. Just the timing of certain things like the cat coming into the shot, you know, and then an explosion happening and an enemy moving in. And just like you're always trying to maximize and get the best bang for your buck for every single shot. Right. And if you could communicate something in the shot, well, if this, you know, enemy came in just a few frames earlier while this guy was doing the jump, then this whole sequence would kind of sync up with the next shot better or whatever. And so I'll just like, you know, mask it off and like shift this part over and kind of tie it all in together. I wouldn't say that I do that on every single trailer, but it's probably more often than people would realize that I'm kind of manipulating the footage in that way. That's funny because my solution for that sort of thing is just to do tons and tons of capture. <laughs> right. <laughs> and be like, oh god, the, the enemy messed me up. That's that's cool that you do that. And it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, I mean, like even I, I'm thinking about the Museum of Other Realities trailer that I just did. There was a couple of things where it's just like it's a multiplayer thing. And so you've got like five people in there. Right. And so someone would teleport, you know, into the shot by accident. And so I would kind of just like hold a frame, you know, for, you know, an extra half a second just to kind of cover up that teleportation animation or something like that. So and I mean, it's all invisible. And I mean, most people would never even know that I did it. But it's just in that kind of situation, it's a lot easier just for me to take, you know, 15 minutes to paint it something out then try to get like five people back in the thing and set up the camera like it's just you know the cost benefit ratio there kind of made sense to do that sort of thing right it's also funny because i feel that you're already doing something that uh i've read about in a lot of post-production articles about just like editing nowadays like i was reading an article about parasite where they're saying oh bong joon ho plans out all his shots so he doesn't shoot coverage so it's like so what does the editor do and in some cases it is something like that where like either within a shot or between two shots with like a whip pan they're stitching things together Mm -hmm. uh or george lucas famously they like changed eye blinks or something like that yeah that's something i've definitely done too you know again because i come from like a visual effects background i mean i've watched like every single behind the scenes visual effects thing there is out there. I've seen it all, probably, you know? And I I take a lot of that to heart when I'm working on these things. It's just like, can I fix this problem faster in After Effects than it would take to like either reshoot it or do this, or is it just not even possible to do this thing in the game? You know, and sometimes you're just adding things, like you're adding dust, you're adding explosions, you're adding stuff to gameplay footage to just help, you know, smooth over the rough edges sometimes of like, you know, this game isn't finished and you know, this kind of looks a little funky over here. So we'll just kind of cover that up with like a little lens flare or something like that, or a little bit of a glow and bloom to kind of, you know, mush the footage all together. Um, You know, so that stuff is happening all the time and I just find that it's having the creative tool set that kind of is After Effects at your disposal at any minute or any second to just fix these problems just works for me, you know, and that's just the way I do it. And the other thing is, I mean, like most of these projects are like, what, you know, a minute and a half long. That's not really that big of a project for After Effects. I mean, doing it like the 20 minute BMX video was kind of stupid. But I mean, yeah, a minute and a half is totally, that's totally manageable within the context of that application, right? I think it it works fine. I I was looking back at some of your old work, like all the way back, because so the way I understand it is that uh, at some point you met some people like uh, Adam Saltzman and people in the indie game community, and it was sort of like, we need a trailer for this or we need a video for this. And did you basically say like, yeah, I could do that. Do you want me to do that? You know, this whole thing happened by accident. <laughs> like, there was no plan involved. Like, and every time I tell people, yeah, I make game trailers, they give you that blank stare, you know? It's just like, that's a job, you know? And yeah. even, even to this day, like, I've been doing this for, like, almost 10 years now. I don't take a day of it for granted, you know? It's, it's amazing that this all happens. But, yeah, the, the, basically, I mean, we made this indie game arcade cabinet called the Winitron 1000. And there was a whole bunch of sort of exclusive games that were coming to this arcade cabinet. And literally just like one afternoon, we were all hanging out and they were like, we should just make a trailer for this game. And they were like, hey, what if we got like, you know, the character from Cannibal running across the rooftops of Winnipeg? I was like, could I get the sprites from Adam Saltzman? Like, would he give me the assets from the game? Is that even like legal? Can you do that? But it's, he's just like a guy, right? Just like the rest of us. And so like my friend, he, he messaged him and he's like, yeah, here's all the assets. And I'm like, wow, I've got the whole sprite sheet. And so I took the sprite sheet and animated it in After Effects. So it looked like a running animation. I did a quick test. 
And we sent it to him. We were like, hey, this is kind of what we're going to do. And he's like, awesome, go for it. And so then the next day we shot. And then I spent like, you know, 23 hours just like editing and adding in all the visual effects and doing all that stuff. It all happened really, really fast. put it online and Kotaku at the time they they picked it up and it, it didn't like go like crazy viral but I mean within the indie game community people saw this and they're like holy crap like this looks really really good you know because indie game trailers 10 years ago were pretty poor for the most part like there there's the all the odd standout but I mean people that make small indie games aren't video editors right and so yeah to see something that was like that had really decent visual effects in it you know the character was integrated he was running across the rooftops there was gameplay it was exciting to watch I mean a lot of people hadn't seen that before so it got attention within that circle um, of people and then it just kind of expanded from there just very very slowly and I noticed that like a lot of those early videos you did, like Nidhogg and other things, had a lot of live action components to them, which allowed you to just use your VFX knowledge. Do you think that if someone had just said to you, can you just make me a gameplay trailer and the visual effects thing wasn't a part of it, would you have said, yeah, that's a thing I can do? Or do you think because it was sort of visual effects oriented that you're like, oh, I can see myself slipping into this thing. I think it was a bit of both. Like, I can't remember actually what the first like fully just gameplay trailer was that I made, man, that's, I'd have to go back and look. But I mean, obviously the first, you know, good chunk of the ones that I did were all visual effects based, right? And I think it made those trailers stand out. And I think at the time there was just nothing else like it out there, right? And so if someone had come to me and asked, hey, can you make a gameplay trailer? I would be like, sure, I could probably do that. And I think at some point, I think I did. And it was probably actually the work I did with Devolver. I think that's probably where the first purely gameplay trailers started. Yeah, one of the first ones that I saw um, was the, the Serious Sam Second Encounter or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like that basically was born out of the whole Winatron thing because I mean, Rami had Super Crate Box, a two player, and that was the second sort of big game that we got for that. And so Devolver at the time was literally just like three people in a name. And there was like, there wasn't much to the company, right? And so um, it's hard to believe <laughs> you know, that, that it actually was that at one point. And so, I mean, Rob, like Nigel at not Devolver. Uh, got in touch with Rami to do the Serious Sam the Random Encounter thing and he was like hey do you do you know anybody that can make a trailer for this and Rami was like yeah I know this guy that just made this thing for Super Crate Box you two should get in touch and that was uh I don't know like eight nine years ago now and so yeah then Nigel and I met at GDC one year and he showed me like Cocaine Cowboy you know which was to become Halt on Miami and he was like hey can you do something sort of in this style and um, actually, I showed him the uh, the Icebergers trailer. I don't know if you remember that one. It's like dubstep, just ridiculous. I ripped the audio from like some other guy's thing on Vimeo. Like I totally shouldn't have done that. But it was just like, it was so early days. I don't think it really mattered back then. And uh, I showed him this and like, this is probably the only thing that I've done this sort of in this style. It's like a little bit heavier. And he liked it. And then Nigel and I have been working together ever since. 
Yeah, and for people that know, uh, Rami is uh, Rami Ismail of uh, who's one half of Vlambeer, who did games like Nuclear Throne and uh, yeah, Super Crate Box and um, Ridiculous Fishing. When I was going back to watch some of those early trailers, like the Serious Sam ones, um, I think that you definitely had parts of your style. I feel like right away, which by your style, I'm thinking about things like just close-ups on the the pixel art, which people even now I think still don't really do and probably should. And I thought that your like editing, your shot composition. Uh, were just really there and nice and clear. Do you think like you have the intuition for composition, or did you like look at reference for for things before you made a trailer? How did you settle into uh, your your style? I don't think it's any one thing. It's always just like accumulation of like your entire journey through all this stuff. And uh, I remember when I used to work in visual effects, you'd have your like yearly review with like your supervisors and stuff, and they they would always say just like keep working on that eye, keep working on that eye, you know. And at the time, I was just like, what? The, you know, come on, this is like you know, hairy fairy, just like you know, ethereal kind of stuff. But now I totally get it, right? It's just like having an eye for composition and having an eye for all this stuff, and just like what makes a good looking shot to communicate something effectively, right?、Mm. And you just got to do it, and you just got to keep doing it over and over again. And one of the Things that's kind of been、uh, like a thread throughout my entire life has been photography, and I've been doing photography since like you know I shot on slide film like you know 25 years ago, and I've been doing photos on the side just my entire life, and I love it, and it's just a hobby of mine. But you know, having that kind of、uh, photography background and just knowing about like shot composition and rule of thirds, and you know, just like that language, right? It it helps when you're just you know composing a shot. It's just like where where is your eye being led to? What what immediately stands out in this? Where should you put the thing that's the most important in the shot to you know make people look at it? And it's the same thing in photography. So I kind of just brought all of that stuff in kind of subconsciously almost into the work that I was doing with the trailers. It's just part of your thinking process that's at this point become invisible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you did photography before. I actually.、Uh, Did photography、um, through like middle school, high school, and first year of college. I remember I went to Japan with a friend of mine, and we took pictures at a lot of the same places we went to. And he looked at mine. He's like, "Why are yours just so much better?" I'm like, "Oh, are they?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Cool, thank you." There's just some things, I guess, like I was saying about composition, that just like this feels good. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to put like a, a quantifier on it. When people ask, like, "What do you do?" It's just like, I don't know. I just use my gut, you know. <laughs> and it's like, if it feels good to me, you know, and if it's like, if I watch this trailer, or I look at this shot, and it's just like, ah, this feels good to me. I think my gut is telling me that it's probably good. It's like if I'm liking it, I think it's probably okay. That's not always the case, <laughs> you know. There's all the occasion, but generally speaking, I think I just go with my gut, you know, and just go with what feels right. And I could see how、um, working in visual effects, where you're working like you know one shot at a time for just、oh, yeah. ages and ages, that you're just looking at this thing that you would be used to. Picking apart something like well, this shot's not working, or this shot is working because of X Y Z. Because I've been looking at this for God knows how long. Oh my God, you have no idea. It's just、I、like、don't. months and months on just like twenty four frames of film, you know. And it's oh, it's it was ridiculous. Yeah. So you work full time for Devolver, correct? Yeah, I mean we have an arrangement basically where it's like you know it, when we started out. I should take you back actually a little bit. Like when we started out, I mean Devolver was much 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 smaller than it is right now. It was just like a couple of guys trying to get this off the ground, right? And so when I started, I was doing like eighty percent freelance, 
Um, and I also was working a side job. I was running a, a computer training lab. And then I was doing Devolver stuff as they kind of needed it. And it was just kind of like on a one-off basis, right? It's just like, hey, we need a trailer for this. Hey, can you help out on this little thing? And they didn't have like a ton of work, right? Because they didn't have, like, they basically had Sirius Sam at that point, right? And Hotline Miami hadn't even hit. My day job was like maybe 40, 50% of my time. And then I was maybe doing like, you know, 20, 30% of, you know, just freelance stuff. And then there was a bit of devolver. And then basically what started to happen is the, uh, things kind of started to get bigger and bigger and people started to see my work online and actually ask me to do trailers for real money and to like for a job. That sort of dynamic of all these different parts kind of started to shift. And so the day job slowly got squeezed out and the freelance got bigger and bigger and devolver kind of got bigger and bigger. And eventually the first thing to go is the day job. So after I think about three or four years of doing all three of those things at once, I basically had to quit the day job. And then the balance between freelance and devolver was maybe like 70-30, like 30% devolver, 70% freelance. And over the last five years, it is now kind of completely flipped. So I would say I'm like 80 to like 90% of my days are all devolver stuff. And I fit in a few freelance projects here and there whenever I can. And when I do those projects, I try to make sure that it's like a VR thing because I just love doing VR trailers. So I, I'll do the odd, like, you know, just standard gameplay trailer. Like I did the Grindstone and I helped out on the below trailers for the guys at Cappy. And every now and then something else will pop up. But, you know, it's just like there's only so many hours in the day at this point. And so that's kind of you know, how things are split. You already answered my question, which I was going to ask, um, since you work for Devolver mostly, I was going to ask what uh, attracts you to non-Devolver projects. So it sounds like VR is a big part of it. Yeah, VR is a huge part of it. And it's like, if it's not a VR game, it's got to be a game that I really like and that I can like really sink my teeth into and that I think I can actually make like a, a real positive contribution towards this game. And, you know, there's a couple that I've like, I've seeked out, like, you know, there's like, there's this game coming out and it's just like, I just, I just need to do this game. I need to. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes I'll just literally just like cold email companies and be like, and one of them was actually Space Channel 5. Groove evening, stargazers. For tonight's report show, I'm investigating reports that aliens are forcing people to dance. Groove's getting us. I had zero contact with these people like they're in Japan I don't have I don't know anybody over there and I just literally sent an email to info at you know whatever the email address was and I'm like hey I'm this guy that makes like VR trailers I love Space Channel 5 I really want to do this game justice please please here's all my work get in touch with me and I didn't hear anything right months go by I didn't hear anything and then I'm at camp with my family and all of a sudden I get this email and I'm just like oh my god they want to do it and so I'm freaking out trying to get cell service in the middle of nowhere and like and just sending them a quick email back so yeah I mean that that's kind of how I try to split it up you know whenever people ask me about uh, game, uh, trailers for VR games I say just look at Kurt's blog post uh, you have a great blog post called uh, virtual cinematography for VR trailers um, since you've done so many, are there like new techniques or ideas that you have that whenever a new VR game comes along that you're thinking like, oh, last time I could have done this or oh, yeah. this was too difficult? Are there what what's the like what are the new ideas that haven't been done yet for VR trailers that you're you've imagined? Well, it's funny because actually just before the whole like COVID thing happened, I had this VR trailer lined up sort of that we I really wanted to do it. I really want to do a VR arcade where it's like a multiplayer 
like a whole bunch of different people. Everyone's in their pod, right? But they're all playing the game together. And I had this one lined up and I had like this way that we were going to shoot it and do everything. And then it just kind of all fell apart because um, like of all the COVID, like I can't get all these people together and it just it just didn't work out right. But multiplayer VR is something I really think could be explored a lot more. And I mean, the first kind, there's there's kind of three sort of like multiplayer VR, you know, like kinds of games, right? So there's like standard, everything's online, multiplayer VR. And then there's like the asymmetrical VR where there's one person at a PC and there's one person in VR. And then there's like the multiplayer VR where there's a whole bunch of people, like I guess you could say the void would be something like that where there's actually people in the same physical space. And then there's the ones where it's like, well, you're all in your individual pods, but you're all playing the same game together. And trying to film a trailer for those kinds of games is extremely difficult. Yeah, there's a lot of tech that has to be made for that kind of thing. And so you have to really have developers sort of like buy into the idea of like, okay, we're going to try to do this and we're going to have to make a whole tech, a whole bunch of tech just to support the filming of the trailer. And some people just are not on board with that because they're just too busy making the game. Some people are. Um, so those are things I really, really want to try to explore. Like I, I did the first one, which was for the Museum of Other Realities, where everything was online. And that was really weird because it's like, I'm literally shooting people, but there's nobody in my basement. You know, I'm just looking at the screen and being like, can you just move to your left? No, I mean, sorry, screen right. You know, it's just like, it's like everything's flipping there in a different screen space and all this stuff. It's just really neat. But like for that one, what we ended up doing was streaming the location of the virtual camera to all the people that were in the museum so they could actually see where the camera was oh. yeah so they knew where to look like i need you to look a little bit this way or you need to look a little bit that way so they could actually see where i was in physical space and so but and i'm walking around in my basement or i'm flying the camera around with an xbox controller and they just see this camera sort of flying all over in their vr space and it was really neat and it, it was tough to do because you're trying to also like if you're trying to get the timing of a shot where it's like everyone put your heads inside the little portal thing on three then everyone's got a little bit of lag you know and it's a little bit different so the timing's all a little bit off and so the, working through all those kind of problems was really really neat uh, it was something i hadn't done before another thing i wanted to talk about is um your motion graphics and like your design because i mean uh whenever i see a trailer of yours or a trailer that i don't know yet is yours and i see the graphics I'll, i think it's fairly easy for me to be like this this is probably done by kurt <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know. I think there's just a certain level of quality and like shininess to them. They they, they always look really good. Um, do you, what is your like process when you're designing your graphics? Um, do you work together with like the art director, or you just have like a process on your own that you're like, oh, I'm gonna keep on plugging away at this until I like it. Again, it kind of depends on the game. Um, generally, like I try to get every single possible asset from the game as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So like if they have any 2D artwork or, you know, you obviously get all the fonts and you try to get all the sound effects and, you know, all the standard stuff, right? Um, and then I try to base the graphics off of that. And a lot of times we'll try to get maybe like if we need a background for like, you know, a title card or something, we'll get the developer to like, hey, can you just get like a custom view inside of Unity just of like the background of this thing and turn off all the foreground elements or whatever and we'll record 10 seconds of that and then I can use that as an element um, sometimes if I get like all the sprite sheets with transparency like there are PNGs or whatever I'll take those and layer them up in 2.5D in After Effects and I mean this is another reason why I like working in After Effects right is because it's just like I can take all these things and I can put them into you know yeah, I can do all the motion graphics right there within the edit, 
right? And I can see how the timing works out. And it's like, oh, I need this transition to be a little longer. Or I need this to do this or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's just a, it's more fluid for me to work that way when I'm creating all these graphics. And when I'm making a trailer like that, I try to give it as much polish as possible. So I just feel like doing everything all in the same package just works better for me, right? Uh, one thing about your graphics that I, I really appreciate is that the different effects or filters, whatever you call them, that you use, they, they never feel like you just saw like the latest video co-pilot tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> I love Andrew Kramer for what it's worth. <laughs> you know, I, I do too. But like, yeah. I remember when I was in the movies one time and watching just like commercials before the, the movie start. And I was just looking at the like graphics there. I'm like, oh, you used the, the trap code shine default coloring or something like that. But like sometimes I'll see in your graphics um, this thing that's like totally appropriate to the game, like um, I'm looking at like genital jousting right now, or right. something where like there's a certain like wiggliness for something that's like really fits the game. I think that those things sort of like disappear into it just because you found the right use case for these things. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's like that stuff takes a lot of work, and I mean, I definitely use assets and stuff. I mean, like you know, I I try if I get something off a of video hive, you know, it, it's exactly it. It has to fit within the world of that game already. And finding those things is kind of like, you know, it's like finding diamonds in the rough. You know? <laughs> and so a lot of the time it's all created from the elements from the game, right? So if I can get like all the sprite sheets and I can get all the, you know, explosion animations or whatever it is, I'll try to just bring those in into After Effects and integrate them as well as I can, right? I know obviously you probably follow a lot of like motion graphics people and like AE scripts, websites like that. And they're always coming out with new stuff. Do you have like a, a backlog of things like, oh, this thing looks cool. I'm going to save this once the right thing comes along. Like I've had trailer editors who do that for music. Like they just hoard music. Like one day this thing will fit somewhere. <laughs> do you have yeah, something totally. like that? Oh man, like I am just like, I, I love plugins. I just love that. I, I love the whole After Effects plugin community. I mean, like I've ever since I started using After Effects, you know, I've been just like, oh, what's the latest After Effects plugin? Ooh, it's just like, it's like a new, tr you know, pre Christmas present dropping, you know, whenever there's a new plugin, it's like, ooh, what can I use this for, right? Um, and there's, there's actually like, there's a company that's relatively new. They're called Plugin Everything. And they have been making some of the really, really, really interesting plugins for After Effects. And they come from also like a compositing background, the developer does anyway. And so a lot of the stuff that he's making has like, has that kind of in mind. And so there's this new one that he just released called like FXAA. It's like a free plugin that basically does like anti-aliasing of footage. And when you have gameplay, sometimes it's got like jaggies because, you know, you know, the anti-aliasing in the game isn't the best. And so this guy, he just released this free plugin and it just gets rid of all that and it's amazing and there's a he has like a really great glow plugin and like there's all these like retro dither kind of you know plugins that are out there and uh yeah i mean like i try to stay on top of that stuff like because i just i love it just personally but yeah every now and then it's like oh this might be neat on this project um but i mean again it has to fit within the game like a uh, minute is like a really good example where um for the title cards for that one i have like these uh like uh, pixelated uh, dithered sort of transitions 
that happened to bring on and uh, wipe the title cards. And yeah, and that's all done with like this crazy like uh, dithering plugin that's, uh, you know, can basically take like a gradient ramp and then like break it down into like one bit black and white pixels in a certain sort of like dithering fashion that's sort of like used with pixel art games. And so it was like, it was the perfect use case for that, right? So yeah, you know, having sort of like these things kind of folding in the back of your mind, I'm always kind of figuring, oh, this might work here. Whenever I look at your graphics, I'm just thinking like things like, what are the things that if they were not here, they wouldn't look as much like Kurt's graphics? Like, do you have like, like if you had a a Batman utility belt full of like your most essential things, like, oh my God, I use this all the time. Without this, you're like cutting off a hand. What would some of those be, you think? Oh, Element 3D for sure. Um, because I mean, just Element 3D, anytime I'm doing 3D text in a trailer um, or anything 3D, it's all Element 3D. Um, like the entire like uh, game developers choice awards graphics package like it's all 3d stuff it's all element 3d like it's it's ridiculous and uh, any like space channel 5 VR all the title cards for that are all 3d um, or all element 3d so the, yeah that's a huge one um, also like <laughs> this is like a super old trailer but oh, what the heck was it called oh kingdom no dungeon hearts Oh no, that's like a that's no, that's a square game. <laughs> <laughs> I have to actually look. Oh yeah, it's been so long. Anyway, I can't remember. But basically, what we ended up doing is we ended up um, bringing in like the 3D models from the game into Element 3D, like with the animations and everything, and then brought those right into After Effects. And I used those for the title cards and the end slates and stuff. And so I'm, I could position them all wherever I needed to. And I didn't need to go into like a full blown 3D package to do that kind of stuff because it's just so so much faster inside of Element. So yeah, that one for sure. And I mean, like basically like all the Magic Bullet um, stuff or sorry, the Red Giant software stuff now, like Magic Bullet looks and like they have a whole color correction suite like Colorista, like you're color correcting pretty much every shot. So I use Colorista a lot. Um, let me think, let me fire up After Effects. Let me see what else <laughs> I got. In. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff on like AE scripts that's really good. Like, you know, like True Comp Duplicator I use like all the time, like all these little nickel and dime kind of scripts, like, you know, all the ease and whiz for like the easing of like, you know, animations and stuff like that. You know, weird things like aligning. There's, I've got one called like Render Hogs, where because when you start to like stack a whole bunch of these effects, it kind of like bogs things down. So you can like tag certain layers and be like, this is a heavy effect. Don't render this right now, but like render it later when I'm doing the final output. And so you put a little tag on it when you render out your thing it turns all the switches back on so stuff like that and i mean like um i mean video copilot has like a whole bunch of other like cool plugins like saber and like you know optical flares and things like that i'll use every now and then there's the whole sapphire suite they have a whole bunch of really neat things in there that i'll use every now and then i i think you always have very nice like glow on your motion graphics too what's what's your What's your glow? Oh, do you want to talk for two hours about glows? Because I can. <laughs> try, try to s- sum up a little bit, but. <laughs> yeah, no, this it's funny because like this is kind of like the a joke within like, you know, the After Effects community is there's like, you know, there's 50 different glows out there and everyone's like, oh yeah, it's like there's YouTube tutorials like comparing like, you know, here's the five top glows for After Effects, right? It's just like, it's this ridiculous rabbit hole you can go down. But this is the thing, every one of these glows kind of works a little bit better in some footage than others, right? Sometimes I'll use the default After Effects Glow. Sometimes I'll use Deep Glow by the uh, plugin everything.
guys. Sometimes I'll use the new, like, what is it, Optical Glow by, like, Red Giant. And then, like, Sapphire has their own glows, too. And so, like, and sometimes some work better than others in certain situations. Um, and some have more control for certain things. And sometimes I'll be just be like, I forgot about this one, so I'm just using the regular and I just kind of tweak it or whatever. Because my plugin list is just, like, insane, right? So I, it's sometimes I even forget what I have because it's just, like, there's so many things in there. So maybe, like, it's, I don't know if you've seen this Malcolm Gladwell talk about spaghetti sauce where his friend uh, came to, like, Ragu or something like that, and they were just looking for the perfect spaghetti sauce, and he came back and said, no, all of them are the correct one. That's why the supermarket has all the different spaghetti sauces. <laughs> so maybe your answer is, like, which which is the best glow plug? And you're like, all of them. Yeah, it's, this is the thing, right? It's the same, like, you know, if you go into, like, the visual effects world and, like, keying, like, you know, how do you, what's the best programmer what's the best plugin to get a good green screen key and the answer is all of them right because every <laughs> there you have to use and sometimes in one shot you'll use three different keyers because this keyer works better on shadows this keyer works better on hair this keyer works better on this side of her face for whatever reason right and you combine all these things and people would never know right so it's the same thing with glows right it's just <laughs> it's one of those things but yeah adding a little bit of glow just like you know it's like light wrap it's like you you should feel it but not see it right it's it has to be like that kind of subtle thing right that was a treat for our, our graphics people out there because uh, usually you know just two editors talk we don't usually dig into this sort of thing because we don't really know anything about it oh man it's i, I love that whole world it's great <laughs> so getting back to trailers a little bit you've done a lot of gdc talks about trailers over the years are there any topics that you've just thought about making a talk for but haven't had the time or something like something that's not uncovered just yet that you want to dig into yeah i mean the 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 multiplayer vr thing is something i really want to do a talk on. Um, I want to basically do all three of those trailers that we're kind of talking about earlier, where it's like we do like the remote, you know, multiplayer VR and asymmetrical VR and like a multiplayer VR where there's a whole bunch of like physical people involved. And I think, you know, showing people all the different you know, tech that's needed to make that happen and just how incredibly complex it is to make those things that would open a lot of people's eyes, right? Um, and so I could probably do like a short talk just even on the Museum of Other Reality trailer um, that we I did earlier. And because uh, just the stuff that we had to implement for that, I mean, like we were implementing tech like just for one specific shot, you know, because of the way like the portals worked in that, in that uh, I don't want to call it a game, in that sort of, you know, what do you call it? You know, that sort of ex VR experience, right? And so it's 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 a really neat rabbit hole to kind of go down. And so I think once I've gone one of each, which I really, really hope to do, I want to do a GDC talk on that. And uh, the other one I was kind of thinking of is, um, you know, Devolver has, you know, 10 years worth of trailers on YouTube. And I think kind of diving into the stats and the just sort of seeing like did like okay this game sold let's just say a million copies or whatever for just to pick a number did the trailer really have that much influence on that or did you know it's something like that you know or is all this stuff just you know it's just you know to support the overall marketing you know and really diving into like okay on this trailer this worked and then this trailer was really big in like croatia for some reason <laughs> right you know and like why did this one hit so well here and this one didn't you know and I think there could be a lot. There's probably a ton of data to mine in there. 
Um, it's just honestly, I, I'm not like an SEO person. I'm not like, I don't know how to present that data in the best way, so, but the data is all there. I just need to really like dive into it and find a tool and maybe find someone to help me kind of sift through it and see what kind of, you know, um, like little gems that we can glean from all of this data that's been accumulated there. Um, because I don't think that there's, you know, like you could ask Nintendo, but they're never going to like tell you what their stats are. But Devolver's in a kind of a unique situation where they are an independent publisher and they would probably be more than willing to share that kind of stuff. So that's something I hope to do down the line. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, I, I think I know at least a couple people who would love to dig into that data. And they're like marketing uh, people who probably do look at those sort of things. Yeah, it's, that's just not my wheelhouse, right? So, but I, I would be really neat to explore. So one question I, I think I'm just going to ask all trailer editors from now on, uh, which one that came up during my last interview was um, the blank timeline situation. <laughs> <laughs> the dreaded blank timeline. Yes. yes. <laughs> what? What gets anything onto your timeline that makes it not blank? How does oh. how does that process go? How painful is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm glad to hear you use the word painful. Yeah, because it's so funny because it's like you know I I've been doing this for a long time. Like I've been sitting in front of blank timelines for 20 years, right? And every time it's just like, well, this is the one where they find out I'm a fraud. Right? <laughs> it's so weird, eh? It's just like I don't know why it feels so daunting every single time, but um. So like, just, I do have a process for it. And for me personally, the first thing I always try to do is find a good music track. Um, if I can, if there is a good track that I feel like, oh, this is, this is the trailer track for this game. And, or if it's even just a chunk of the music, I can edit this into a really tight, you know, like 90 second trailer track or whatever. I use that as my base. And then sometimes depending on what it is, I might just add like intro or even just an after effects. I'll just put markers just with like, you know, little text, like beginning shot here, title card here, end slate ends up here. Just so there's like the rough kind of like bare, bare skeleton of what it needs to be. Right. Um, and then, I mean, depending on the game, I mean, like for, um, I'm thinking of Vacation Simulator, the launch, launch trailer for Vacation Simulator, that was probably one of the most daunting tasks that I have ever had. Welcome to the Vacation Simulator, human. Before we go on vacation, we need to make sure you look relaxed. The beach is the most efficient place to start. Listen to your inner power supply because that game is like the biggest there's just so much to do in vacation simulator like just like not only just getting footage of all these different like little mini games that they have in there the voiceover script for that game was just obnoxiously large like they they sent me this excel file that i literally could have scrolled for days for all the different voiceover samples and it was just insane. And also, as we were creating the trailer, they were still recording VO. <laughs> so not <laughs> only more were, VO, Kurt. Oh, it was ridiculous. And so, like, they at least they had the spreadsheet. And so I'm trying to construct, like, a story to tell if in this trailer. So, I like, we got the music track kind of roughly figured out. And then it's like, okay, I need to go through these, like, you know, like... 30 hours worth of voiceover recordings to try to find the little nuggets to try to tell a story in 90 seconds, right? And so, and not only was it not all recorded, some of the VO that was recorded was different from the lines that they had in the thing. And it was just like, oh my God, it was a nightmare, right? So, <laughs> but eventually, so you kind of get the bones of that, right? And so then you're like, okay, well, we need to show 
something in the beginning. We need to show something in the end. And generally speaking, I will start at the end. Um, just because it's like, you know what it needs to end on, right? It's like when you're going through all of your footage, it's just like, well, this is clearly like the the high moment or this is clearly the moment we need to end on. That's right. usually pretty clear to me. So I'll dump that in. And then sometimes if I'm at a real loss, like I'm just like, I don't know what to do at all now. I'll just make the end slate, just like drop in the logos, you know, just like, oh, that's easy. That feels good to get that <laughs> out of the way, right? You know, and it's just like, it's just something just to feel like you're making some sort of incremental progress, you yeah. know? Right. And then it's just like, well, maybe this shot would be good at the beginning and you kind of dump it in. Right. And um, I mean, with the vacation simulator trailer, I remember spending like just like a full day and a half just with like rough temp footage, just trying to like figure out the order of things. And I just felt so awful the whole time I was making it. But by the end of that, like day or day and a half, I was like, okay. I've got, a, I've got a pretty good idea of where this is going to go. We just literally need to reshoot everything <laughs> <laughs> and get some very specific shots here. And then so we would do that. And that, that project, like we shot, I don't know, many, many days, like probably six or seven days worth of shooting. Yeah, it was really intense, that one. Just because it's like we would shoot like a full day and then my friend Vince would go away for a few days and I would edit what we had and be like, okay, well, we need to get this and now we need to shoot it from this angle because we're cutting the 180 line or whatever on this previous shot and we didn't know that at the time. And so you're constantly just reiterating on all these things to kind of put the put the pieces together. Yeah, that's how that one went. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. There's some nuggets in there for people to hopefully help them with their blank timelines but yeah the big part of the answer just seems to be just just put something on <laughs> just punch and put something on like i always no matter what the project is i start with the music you know just because for me it, it feels like that really dictates the pace and the flow of everything and then even just adding markers you know in your timeline it's like here like cut 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 like even if it's just on the beat you know just just the, like and maybe you won't even use those those points but it just gives you a rough idea of like okay maybe i'll need like 20 shots or maybe i'll need 10 shots you know and then you can kind of get an idea you go back well it's like this shot's really good you know this like, you pull out the ones that you think are the best and you kind of start putting those in place i don't know it's different for everyone but yeah the process is always daunting i still feel like that every time so um i mean because of your job i imagine you watch a lot of trailers indie game trailers and triple a trailers and uh, something i've been thinking about recently is just what's the most practical advice i can give to someone who's like making their first game trailer because i think in my newsletter i get in the weeds about theory a lot of the time based off of maybe trailers that you've seen that were probably someone's like first time effort what would be your go-to advice for like okay you really you're pressed for time you need to get a trailer in uh, a short amount of time what would be the thing that you're like just make sure you do you know x or maybe two things. Do you have something like that? That is a really good question. I think what I would just, you know, if, if it's a game trailer specifically, like let's say it's an indie game trailer, you know, uh, indie game developer, and they're making their first trailer, you know, it's just, you really just want to communicate what makes your game unique. You know, just like whatever that nugget is in your game, just communicate that. And I mean, if you can do that in, you know, 30 seconds, just keep it short. There's no reason to just overstay your welcome, right? <laughs> just make, just show off that really cool mechanic, that really cool puzzle, that really cool art style, whatever it is, 
and just get in, show the really neat thing and get out. And I think, you know, you could even do that with two or three shots, you know, and if you can do that, that, that might be better than trying to do like a giant trailer, right? That, that might feel really, really overwhelming. And it might even have a better impact because it's shorter, it's easier to share, it's like gifable, you know, and it's shareable on Twitter and things like that. So I don't know, that, that would probably be my advice. I think get in and get out is really good advice. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sums it up quite a bit because... Yeah, it's like, wait, we've already seen this before. Make it shorter, make it shorter. So do you watch a lot of trailers like regularly for inspiration or are there other things that you use to like keep you fresh? You know, it's funny because it's like, uh, I find I watch your stream a lot to watch new trailers, oh. <laughs> you know, to be honest, because it's like, I, I, I love seeing your commentary on all this stuff. And like, you know, it's like your your depth of knowledge on this is really really incredible and i am definitely always learning things from watching your streams and watching you analyze all these different trailers and it's something that i feel like i don't have a, the time to do right now just because you know i have i have two kids as well and especially right now with like covid going on my wife and two kids are at home and so my work schedule is very compressed because i need to watch the kids when my wife needs to work and stuff like that so i don't have a lot of free time to just like ah oh, i'm just gonna sit and watch like 45 minutes of trailers or whatever on youtube right so having your stream is actually really really helpful cool i appreciate that i actually started the stream basically to give myself that time to set aside to watch trailers because I was just I just kept on adding to this YouTube playlist of watch this game trailer later and just was I'm never watching any of them and at least this rate I'm watching I don't know nine a week which is more than what I was before yeah yeah I mean it's very flattering for you to hear you say because for people who don't know like Kurt is basically the reason arguably that I'm here maybe in some cases because I mean when I first went in like feet forward into indie game trailers Kurt was the one who handed me his overflow work and uh, a lot of those first uh, couple of few years, especially, I got a lot of work from you. I always try to give credit uh, to that and also pay it forward when I can, uh, because it's it's a small industry and there are not a lot of us doing this, especially in this space. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it's funny because I remember when even you just first started, um, I think, I can't remember if you were doing a news, it was the blog posts, I think. And I, I, it was interesting because watching you put out all this information, it was just like, wow, there's like, cause you have a, you came at this whole thing from a different background. Like you used to do like, you know, trailer editing at a trailer house and stuff. And I had never been exposed to that world at all. You know, I came from like a motion graphics and visual effects, you know, background, and I didn't go to film school or any of that kind of stuff, right? It's all kind of self-taught. And hearing you put like words, you know, to like the phrases of things that I was just kind of innately doing, but didn't really fully understand was so helpful. And I was like, oh, there's like a film technique thing for that. I was just sort of doing it because it felt good but I didn't know that was a real thing and so it was really really neat to read all that stuff and just sort of start to understand it because you come at this from a, such a different perspective than me so there's totally like I, I I feel like I'm learning from every single one of your posts and every single time you do a stream it's really fantastic very cool that's uh I think maybe I just added some words to the things that you already knew like I was thinking about um I once l listened to this podcast with Adam Savage where he was talking about trying to find particular type of bottleneck, like a glass bottleneck, and he didn't know that that actually had some sort of word, like specifically that part of a bottle. And once he found that word, then he like found the bottleneck like corner of the internet. <laughs> and, and like suddenly he had like all the bottlenecks to choose from. But exactly. before he knew that word, he couldn't search for it. So yeah, that, it's funny how that works. Eh? That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
what is something that you see a lot in a lot of game trailers, like AAA or indie, that you think still could be done better, or maybe some like common mistake, or not necessarily mistake, but just something that you're like, why are you doing this? Is something that sticks out there for you? Can I talk about ESRBs? <laughs> yes, please. Yes. <laughs> Talk as long as you want about ESRBs. <laughs> I have thoughts. Oh my gosh, no, that's just a joke. But I mean, God, get your fonts in order, guys. Come on. It's like it's in the document. You don't use Comic Sans. What's going on Ariel here? Ariel Narrow, correct? Oh, it's, you know, honestly, I can't remember because I have a template for it now. It's just, <laughs> it just does the right. I think it's Ariel Narrow. <laughs> but, you know, okay, all joking aside. I mean, like, it's funny because it's just like, no matter how much information it seems like, you know, you put out into the world. I mean, like, and you've put out so much information. You put out all these things. And, you know, like, I had a blog post and all this stuff, too. And it's like, you still see people making very common mistakes. And, you know, uh, like, obviously, the first one that I think about is just like, don't put five minutes of logos up front. I mean, like, I mean, if you're a AAA and you're a rock star, sure, you can do that. But I mean, like, indie developers, they still make that mistake. And the title cards is another one where I just see, like, either just using really boring text or um, I can't remember the word they use to describe it. Um, but, you know, like, uh, the the text with, like, uh, adjectives that just don't really add any value to the, oh, to the, the subjective adjectives. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and it's just like insane level design. Yeah, it's like why, or it's just like over five hundred levels, and it's like no one cares. You know, it's just like (laughs) don't make those mistakes, right? And it's it's very obvious, and there's so many talks about marketing that go over all this stuff, yet people seem to still make those mistakes. Um, So I I wish that um, I don't I don't know what you or I could do to. make people see this stuff more but it's it's it seems like you know the information is out there but people just need to really go out and search for it i guess and try to try to improve on those things yeah i think maybe one way i could say it is that people need to stop thinking that they're playing defense when they're putting their games out there like they're like apologizing for their game like i need to say the level design is insane otherwise people won't think it's insane and it's like no we can see that you're insecure about this based off of how you're trying to like pump this thing up and i think people need to just try to you know come from a positive standpoint like my game is great because of this and uh by trying to use flowery language like that yeah your your colors are showing basically exactly that's, that's a super good point you know just show what makes it unique and then it's like hopefully it'll sell itself you know and i mean that's you know, I'm in a very, very fortunate position where it's like the vast majority of like the games that I work on, they're in that kind of situation, right? Where it's just like, they either look great, there's like cool mechanics, or there's a great art style, you know, it's like a very gifable game or whatever. And they just kind of sell themselves, so it makes it easier. But I mean, not everybody has that kind of game, right? I'm always interested in hearing about favorite trailers of other trailer editors around me because I think everyone has like slightly different tastes and different uh, styles that they enjoy. So what are some of your favorite trailers, either for movies or games? I can cover movies really quick because it's funny. It's like, I don't really watch movie trailers anymore. It's like, it's, I don't know what happened, but you know, I remember when like Apple trailers used to be a thing. I don't even know. Is it still a thing? <laughs> it's still a thing. It's still there. That's amazing. Okay. But yeah, I used to be like watching every single movie trailer. And so it's like, oh my God, this is so cool. Maybe because it was new, you know, back then. And it's like, wow, you can watch trailers online now. That's amazing. I kind of use movies now as sort of like my escape. And when I watch a movie, 
I really want to go into it knowing absolutely nothing. Like, I full media blacked out all of the Star Wars movies. Anything I really actually want to watch, I will actively try to not see anything for that. And that includes all the trailers. All right. So I find that, you know, since I don't have a ton of free time with kids and just, you know, chaos of that sort of life, that I just don't watch movie trailers because that's like I have these like six or seven movies I want to watch this year. I just don't want to know anything about them, you know, and so I won't watch them. But that being said, I mean, one of the ones that were actually, it's not even a, really a trailer, but it's like, um, do you remember Eighth Grade? Uh, I never saw it, but I know the movie. Yeah, it's, it's a super, super awesome movie. And uh, the director of the movie released this, like, it's not a trailer, but it's like a video for the movie that uses that like AI style transfer kind of thing, you know, where it's like all the colors look all super weird and it's like tracked to the footage. And it was like a piece of like promo stuff that he just kind of threw up on his YouTube channel. And I was like, this is one of the craziest, most unique movie marketing things that I have ever seen. You know, that it's not really a trailer. It's kind of like it's standalone thing, but it was really, really interesting. And it just had this crazy look to it. And it's got this, like, there's a song in eighth grade where it's got these horns and it's just like, it's got this really cool rhythm. And just the way that whole piece came together was really, really neat. And really, I, I watched it probably like 10 times. It's just like, it was so unique and I'd never seen anything that looked like that before. One of the other movie trailers that like, I was thinking about this and it's like Whiplash. It's another like really old movie. But yeah, I saw that in the theater and I was like, I, that trailer came by and it's like the end of that trailer. It's got this snare drum that just like constantly like, doo, 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 doo. and every shot is edited and the title cards were edited into that beat but the title cards were just like one word. It was just like, you know, exhilarating or whatever. Like it was one word and it was literally up there for like 12 frames. So you just had enough time to read that word. And I was like, that is super cool. And so I actually, I totally cribbed that and I used it in the Never Ending Nightmares trailer. because I was working on that at the exact same time. And so it was just like, I am using this because it feels super neat. And I'd never seen a trailer kind of do that before at the time. In addition to the, the blank timeline question, I like to ask people, what were the, the, the games or the projects that were the, the toughest to crack? The ones where, I don't know, just something about it uh, just took you a while before you're like, this is, before you said anything like, this is pretty okay. You know, maybe it just took a while to get there. Yeah, I mean, I find the, the, I mean, there's some projects that I just, tr I can't touch, you know, <laughs> you know, they're really tough. Like I've, I've heard you mention this before, but like real time strategy games. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, I don't know how to make a good trailer for a real time strategy game. Like, cause it's a tough, that's why there's so many like full, like CG trailers, you know, for that kind of game. Right. Because it's a really, really hard thing to sell. Um, and, you know, I try to stay away from, like, long-form, like, narrative games. I have a hard time with that. You seem to really, really get... Like, I, I, that's my bread and butter. Exactly. So anytime something like that comes to me, I'm like, you need to talk to Derek because it's just like, you know, just... It's like with a vacation simulator when you have, like, the 3,000 lines of VO, like, just sorting through all that just feels so overwhelming to me. But you have a real knack for that. So it's like, I try to... I, I, that's not my wheelhouse, right? Um, but generally speaking, I mean, like, I am, 
like again i'm really lucky that i'm able to work on um you know games through devolver that kind of sell themselves so there's generally not very many super tough projects but i find the the friction generally comes from either and this can be like it's not only just trailers it could just be any sort of project that anybody's working on but like where the either the developer or the client that you're working with doesn't have like a clear vision of what they want and does and then if you send something and they don't like it and then can't articulate why they don't like it that is kind of a tough situation and i've had a few of those you know over the years where it's just like this isn't what i was looking for but i don't really know how to put my finger on why i don't like it and that's tough because it's just like you you know you're kind of throwing stuff at the wall at a certain point like is this kind of more what you're looking for is this kind of more you know and in some cases it's the exact opposite where it's like the developer developer rather has like a very specific vision of what this trailer needs to be and like i've had some where it's just like this needs to be cut two frames earlier and i'm like well okay sure you know all right you know i'll i'll just hit the buttons for you if that's what you want me to do but you know that's those don't always feel the best but sometimes that's just what needs to be done right they just they have a very specific vision in mind and those are those can be hard but a lot the best ones are where it's like a collaboration where it's just like you know you do something and it's like that sets off some hey this might work really really well here and the developer captures this really unique thing that you didn't even know existed in the game and you're like oh this is great and then you kind of play off that, you know, back and forth. And that always feels really good. I'd say if, if you're a trailer editor and someone comes to you and your first question is like, tell me about your game. And they say, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, that, that's when I send them the, the email of my marketing friends and then say, come back to me after you've had a discussion with this person, <laughs> at least. Um, yeah. So actually, another question I want to ask, because I mean, you've done so much work, that's super amazing. But I think as anyone, we're, we're all learning all the time. Um, so is there something out there or that you wish that you could do better? Is there something in your work? You're like, mm, this thing, I still haven't, I still struggle a little bit. Is there something like that? Oh, man, you know, it, it well, it's funny, because it's just like, you can take like trailer styles in so many different ways, right? And there's so many different ways that you can make a trailer. And I mean, um, where was that, 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 I can't remember the name of the game, the, the one that did the Death Stranding parody. Oh, it was um, SnowRunner. Hey, it's me. We're doing okay. We miss you. But we know what you're doing. It's never been more important than now. I keep telling the girls you're out there for all of us. I think they understand. I'm watching myself drifting away. Yeah, the SnowRunner trailer. And I was just like, we were talking about that. And it's just like, I don't know if I could have come up with that idea. Yeah. You know, it's just like, how did how did the brain or how did the wires get crossed to come up with that concept for that trailer? And that's where I feel like I struggle sometimes. Like, you know, I'll often just sort of default back to it's like, well, we need a beginning, middle and an end and we need a cool soundtrack and we just kind of slap it all together. But really coming up with those like angles that kind of come out of left field that those are really, really unique. And every now and then I feel like I get one of those and we are able to like grab onto it. But I wish I could just hit a button and it's just like, here's the unique concept and angle for this trailer we're going <laughs> to create that's going to, you know, generate bazillions of views. I wish there was a button for that. And that just obviously doesn't exist. Otherwise, everybody would do it. But trying to hone that skill, I don't know, is there even a way to do that? I don't even know. I don't know if there is. I feel like you just need to be in the right headspace or have watched something because. I mean, there's probably no worse direction than having someone say to you, make something outside of the box. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll just use this tool set then. That's right. I'll use Element 3D twice in this trailer. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Do you have any uh, dream projects? Like if maybe either like a game came back or something like that or something, some studio that you'd like to work with? Oh, man. So, I mean, this is a thing, again, like I'm extremely fortunate, you know, because when I was a kid, I basically had like two dream jobs. And one was I want to work at Nintendo. And number two was I want to work at ILM. And, you know, I haven't worked at either of those companies, but I feel like I've hit both of those things in some way like I worked in the visual effects industry for like the better part of a decade and you know and doing all this stuff with games like I've obviously like had contact with people at Nintendo you know just like anybody that works in this field but I mean I it's I feel like I've kind of hit those two things you know and so I'm very very fortunate to be able to just exist in this this crazy job in this crazy universe and as far as like projects that kind of crossed over that, you know, the fantastic contraption, like mixed reality trailer. Fantastic contraption is a game about building and using your creativity. The challenge of the game is simple. You have to get the pink ball to the pink goal. And to do that, you have to build a fantastic contraption. I'm like still super proud of that. Like that was a, so much work under a crazy timeline with like hardware that was still in development and like software that was still in development and everything was kind of like this shaky road, you know, <laughs> and being able to do that felt really, really good because it, it combined my love of making cool game trailers. It combined my love of visual effects and just making something really, really new and unique that nobody had ever seen before. And I, I loved it. It was, it was such a, a great project. And I would love to do another one. Um, it's just, it's got to be the right project with the right amount of time and budget and just developer buy-in um, to do that sort of thing. And it's just, you know, at the time after it came out, I mean, like, it's just like my email exploded, right? But it's, it's just like, hey, can you do one in three weeks? And it's just like, no, this took like, you know, four months to like figure out how to do this. And people just really underestimate like the time and the cost and the labor and everything that's involved in putting together something like that. So unfortunately it hasn't happened again, but I would love to do something like that. Like maybe there's going to be like, you know, if Apple releases like some crazy AR thing, I don't know, maybe there'll be a unique opportunity to do something like that in that sort of realm. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes up. Like I would have never expected, you know, a VR project like that to happen, but it did. So who knows what's going to happen in the future, right? Yeah. When, when people usually ask that sort of question to me, I, a lot of times I just say like, probably the best thing that I'm going to work on is something I don't even know to ask for. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because people are just making so much cool stuff all the time that, uh, you know, it's, I could just say, oh, I'd like to work on a Nintendo game or something like that, which don't get me wrong, I would. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, if Nintendo ever creates like a Super Mario like VR project, just like, you know, hit me up. Doug Bowser, hit me up. <laughs> I will start a Twitter campaign if that opportunity comes up. Yeah, I don't think it ever will, but you never know, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I get that like games are a really big part of your life, but what are what are the things that you would say are non-gaming related that are just the things that you enjoy? 
Oh, well, I mean, my, my kids are just like a vast majority of my life. Yeah. <laughs> they, they take uh, basically any waking moment that is not spent in front of the computer. Um, but, you know, I try to like I love games. I've been a, like you should see the office, you know, my office, quote unquote office, my little room in the basement here that I work in. You know, it's just surrounded by like video games from my childhood and things like this. Like this is just my world and I love it. Um, so I try to play games whenever I can. I mean, photography is something else that I, I try to do when I can. Mainly, I take pictures of my kids right now. <laughs> but, you know, anytime I go on a trip or something like that, I try to, um, you know, bring my cameras along. And I absolutely love just, like, weird photography, like, weird cameras. Like, I've got some, like, weird 3D, like, film cameras that have, like, four lenses on them. I've got, like, one of those, like, Theta 360 cameras. Um, I converted one of my old cameras, like, digital cameras to, like, uh, infrared conversion. And so you can take these really neat, like, infrared pictures. And I've got, like, old, like, infrared film, like, in a freezer in my basement that I break out, like, you know, every couple years. Um, so. So, I mean, I really love like weird photography and weird cameras and stuff like that. Like Lomography, I used to be really into that for like a really long time. If they sell like all these bizarre cameras, like there's one that you can buy where it actually you fill a lens full of like fluid and it, yeah, it's really weird. And so, like that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, that's really neat. Like pinhole photography, you know, is kind of cool as well. So, that's like a, a rabbit hole I kind of explore, but it's just a hobby, right? It's like I don't make any money or I don't do anything like that with it. But I feel like that all those skills kind of like you know flow back into like you know the trailers like we were saying before like all the rules of photography and so on i'm doing that stuff it kind of feeds that in some sort of indirect way right yeah like some of the the infrared photography you took i saw um it looks like that scene in um that star trek movie where like all the trees are red yeah exactly yeah 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 and i was like oh you could just like do that sort of yeah well i mean they painted the trees red <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure there's if you do like, that way. Yeah, there's there's a type of film like they used to sell, you know, um, I like they discontinued it and I think it was 2006 and when they discontinued oh, wow. it I bought like 20 rolls and I've still got some sitting in the freezer that I break out on special occasions cuz they just don't make it anymore. You can't use it. So anytime wow. I use a roll, that's it. It's gone, right? So yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I get. I also get a lot that you you seem very interested in just lots of different like art styles and looks and stuff, which seems to be in keeping with your interest in photography and visual effects and yeah i mean i love weird tech stuff too like i i love like the sigraph like papers that are released it's like because i used to work in visual effects right it's like what is like and then there's these people like we just made this crazy new research paper on how to do like liquid honey look at how this honey flows and stuff i'm like <laughs> wow that honey looks so real you know or it's like there's one where it's like we made a model to simulate bed bread breaking or baking in an oven and you can see the dough rising and it all separating the air pockets filling and it's all CG and I'm just like wow that is amazing you know it's like is like I really miss like the visual effects industry for that kind of stuff because there really are like the bleeding edge of just like all this crazy like visual tech right it's just like it's unfortunate that the visual effects industry to work in it is just kind of a gong show right and then so it's like I love watching that stuff sort of from the side and just sort of like saying oh what kind of neat crazy stuff you know like the state it's like speaking of that like the stagecraft stuff that they're doing for like the Mandalorian where they're using like Unreal Game Engine to basically render real-time assets, you know, and shoot them live on set. 
you know, like that kind of tech is amazing and super interesting, right? So we're getting towards the end here. One question I would want to give to you is for what question would you want to ask maybe the next person that we interview who is probably going to be a trailer editor? Is there a question that just you like to ask other trailer editors? Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? You're kind of the only other, (laughs) I say even the sort of the community we have here are the only trailer editors I know. It's funny because it's like we were saying earlier, right? Like you sort of came from this world and I sort of came from the outside of it, right? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of cliche, but yeah, just like, how do you start is a good one, you know, because it is really like, I think everybody would kind of have a different answer to that because like, what is like your workflow? Like, what's your headspace when you do have to start? Like, you know, for me, it's just like, I always find the music, but for maybe somebody else, it's like, oh, is there like a VO cue or something that just sort of set off, you know, this, you know, like this sort of journey in your mind, or is there like the one line that you could pick out that sort of fig- you could figure, oh, I can set the whole trailer around this kind kind of narrative structure or something like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I probably ask the same question because the, everybody probably has a different answer, right? And that would be really, really interesting to hear. I think there just needs to be a podcast now called like, how do you start? That is. <laughs> and just just do that. Ask that question of every single person who does anything anywhere. Yeah. Uh, that would probably be a really good one. Yeah. Before I let you go, uh, anything you want to promote or shout out, any person, project or uh, Twitter handle, whatever. Oh gosh, you know, um, I think the people I would love to just thank, you know, or just, you know, the people that, you know, like Rami, especially like Adam Saltzman and all those people back then. And especially like Nigel at Devolver. I mean, like for just like, you know, Hey, you, you want to try doing this stuff? Sure. And it like working for them has literally changed my life. I mean, it's just been, it's, you know, having, you know, the stability of that and being, you know, being able to do other stuff on the side and the flexibility that they've allowed me to, you know, while I've been working with them has been incredible. Um, so yeah, just big thanks to all of those people that, you know, help me get into this industry. It's like, it's, I never would have thought this would be a job or something that I could have done. So I'm just infinitely grateful to everybody that's helped along the way. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's going to be our show. Thank you so much, Kurt, for this interview. It was really great. I got to hear you talk about a lot of things that, uh, I feel like I've never heard you talk about, but I think people will find super interesting. I uh, hope you had fun. I definitely did. Thank you very much for having me. I can't wait to uh, hear who else you get to interview. This I love the podcast. It's fantastic. So thank you for doing this. Uh, thank you. So let me wrap this up here. Um, so yeah, that's our episode for this week. As always, you can send questions or comments to cutdown at idlethumbs.net. And I'm on Twitter at cutdowncast and at Derek underscore Lou. And Kurt is uh, at Kurt Gartner. Uh, and the little story I heard, I think it was that your first name is K-E-R-T. And it was become is Star Trek related or something? Yeah. So the story is my name is spelled K E R T and it's Trek backwards because my dad had a Star Trek poster in his bedroom and he was looking at it through a mirror and he's like, <laughs> Trek spelled backwards is Kurt. We're gonna name our kid Kurt. So I was destined to be a nerd from day one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. So Kurt is at Kurt Gartner. Uh, we're part of the Idle Thumbs Network, and you can join us on the Idle Thumbs forums if you'd like to discuss this week's episode. And as always, uh, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. And we also want to give a thank you to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. So thanks, and talk to you next time. Thank you. Fantastic. I feel the energy of this work. It truly represents Wanderlust. <laughs>